Welcome to another great episode of Black Equity Podcast. And we have a special episode for you today. Uh, within the last 24 hours, the President of the United States, Joe Biden, has um, delivered remarks on the United States economy. And I think it is important for us to dive into the conversation and see what is being said and see what pieces of information, pieces of wisdom that we can gather as entrepreneurs and investors to help make uh, clarity and clear decisions moving forward. I want to remind you that uh, some people say that we are in a recession or we're about to be in a recession. And my sources tell me that whenever we are in a recession, that's the time to acquire. And the bad times are the times to acquire and the good times are the times to build. And so depending on what economy you're investing in and what uh, industry you're investing in, that can help make the world a difference. Knowing if you're in a good time or a bad time and knowing what behavior you should have during those times. So on today's episode, we're going to dive into the, these remarks by President Joe Biden on the economy. And during this conversation, I will jump in for my commentary when appropriate. I want to thank you for joining us on today's episode. And let's get ready to study Black equity. All right, let's jump into this. We got the remark from Joe Biden coming in. You hear the music playing. You got the you got the crowd going. Oh, I love these political events. It's such a political theater of it all. I have not listened. I have not listened to this this speech at all. So I have no idea whatsoever what is going to be said. If if it's lies, if it's true. And so I wanted to record this as a possible episode for us to go ahead and publish for the people. I if if I decide to publish this episode, which there's a lot of times where I will record things, I just don't put it out, right? More than likely this will go out. And so I'm curious to see what is being said, what is being done, and what what are they not? Please saying? welcome. Seam Fitters, UA Local 602 Apprentice, Megan Russell. I love to see what people are not saying when it comes to remarks on the economy. The theatrics of it all. Don't you just love it? My name is Megan Russell. I live in Leonardtown and I'm a first year apprentice with the United Association. I grew up helping my dad with construction work around the house. So I'm going to go on mute a little bit here. I'm going to mute to with my hands. her speaking and, and just tell you what I see. So as she's talking and potentially introducing Joe Biden, we have a flag behind her. They appear to be in Springville, Springfield, Virginia. And it says Blueprint for America. Good jobs, low cost, better pay. That's the slogan of, I guess, today's conversation or 
future campaign. I don't know. But supposedly this is a blueprint for America. And why are these things important? Why do we need to study like full conversations instead of just clips? Because I want to understand context. I want to understand the joke that led to the joke. I want to understand the data that led to the data instead of just a quick 30 second clip. Let's jump right back in and see where we are. Dignity of work is about. Thanks to pres the president's economic plan and his investments to rebuild America, President Biden is creating good jobs and opportunities for working families, working families like mine. That is why it's my great honor to introduce the president of the United States, Joe Biden. So the music is blaring and the president is coming out. And man, I remember when I was a kid, I would watch stuff like this and, and really study it, just like I'm doing now. I just didn't press record. And so it's really cool now on the podcast to just watch the game unfold. And people want to know my thoughts on these things. And I'm going to give them. I get to really watch society move and all the different pieces and see how is this impacting us on the black equity front. So let's see what president has to say. <laughs> I said that thank you very much. I, uh, I said that uh, when I was seeking the nomination. I said, take a seat, everybody. And there wasn't a single chair in the place. I said, that Biden really is stupid. He doesn't know. Where's Doug? Congressman. He's around here somewhere. Oh, there you are. Doug, thanks for the passport into town. Doug and I have something in common. We both married way above our station. Way above our station. I want to thank you all very much. Look, uh, good afternoon to the Steamfitters Local 602. And uh, President McManus, Mark, thank you. You've been a great friend for a long time. I appreciate it. Megan, thank you for the introduction. I just got a chance to talk to Megan's mom. I think I embarrassed her. I said, call your mom. And uh, so we just talked to her mom, and her mom, uh, I told her, as they say in Southern Delaware, she'd done a good job on this one. <laughs> Thank you very much, Megan, for that introduction. You're learning what so many of others have found, that a career in the trades means uh, a lot of stability, but also challenging work and a chance to be part of a strong community. You know, Congressman Byer, you've, uh, you've been doing a great job for this district, and you're one of the best in the country. You really are. I don't want to ruin his reputation, but we vote a lot alike. <laughs> and thank you, uh, uh, County Chairman uh, McKay, for joining us, and thanks for the passport into town. Look, look, uh, we've, uh, we've got a lot to do. We've, got, we've achieved a lot because of all of you in this room and other rooms around the country. And, uh, but I'd like to look ahead at what's to come, what we're going to be doing. Just this morning, we got some very good news about the American economy. Every three months, the economic outlook of America is laid out on an official government report that uh, on the state of the economy. It came out today, this morning, and I'm not sure, and I mean it sincerely, the news could have been any better. Economic growth is up 
stronger than expert expected at 2.9% for growing. Jobs. Jobs are the highest in American number and the highest in American history. And wages are up. And they're growing faster than inflation. Over the past six months, inflation has gone down every month. And God willing, we'll continue to do that. Manufacturing jobs continue to go up stronger than any time in the last 40 years. And I don't think it's unfair to say that this is all evidence that the Biden economic plan, because you all, is actually working. It's working. It really is. And there's no question, by the way, I, if my mother were here, she would have had me say at the outset, I apologize for my back when I'm speaking to you all. I'm sorry. But uh, look, uh, we're moving in the right direction. Now we've got to protect those gains. We've got to protect those gains that our policies have generated. Protect them from the MAGA Republicans in the House of Representatives who are threatening to destroy this progress. Look, you know, this ain't your father's Republican Party. This is a different breed of cat, as they say. You know, it's hard as it is to believe. They want to pass legislation to do the following things. I've been saying this. No one believed until I start to introduce this stuff. They want to raise your gas prices. They want to cut taxes for billionaires who pay virtually only 3% of their income now. 3% they pay. You know, a, a babysitter pays more than that. And we, they want to impose a 30, this one I love. They want to impose a 30% national sales tax on everything from food, clothing, school supplies, housing, cars, a whole deal, 30%. No, you think I'm joking. What I, if I didn't, if they didn't see it, if, you didn't, if I didn't see it, I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't believe it. And folks, the reason they want to do that, they want to eliminate the, 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 the income tax system. Because guess what? That's the only way that millionaires and billionaires have to pay any taxes. But guess what happened to all y'all if, in fact, 30% sales tax on everything you buy, from eggs to automobiles? Not a joke. And one more, I've been saying this during the last campaign, the off-year campaign. Doug knows. Look, here's the deal. You're going to cut your social, they want to cut your social security and Medicare. No, this is the God's truth. It's almost unbelievable. And beyond that, they're actually threatening to have us default on the American debt, a debt that's been accumulated over 230 years, okay? And the interest on that debt, we've never, ever done that. So we have a rhetorical question. What in God's name would the Americans give up the progress we've made for the chaos they're suggesting? I don't get it. That's why the MAGA Republicans deliberately choose to inflict this kind of pain on the American people. Why? Why? This nation has gone through too much. We've come too far to let that happen. I will not let it happen. Not on my watch. I will veto everything they send us. Not after all the progress we made and how far we've come. Last week, last week was a two-year anniversary of the day I was sworn in as president. And at the time I was sworn in, the pandemic was raging and the economy was reeling. Millions of you were out of work through no fault of your own. Millions more kept their jobs, but they saw their hours and their paychecks cut. Millions of millions of Americans. Hundreds of thousands of businesses closed. Small businesses make up 50% of the entire economy. Schools across the country were closed. Teachers and first responders were laid off. 
for families that relied on a weekly paycheck and not their stock portfolios to put real food on the table, there was real pain for these, for these people. I mean, for real. Some of you remember it. Uh, God forbid some of you had to go through it. Real fear that maybe this time they wouldn't make it. But the fear doesn't start, didn't start with the pandemic. For decades, the backbone of America, the middle class, has been being hollowed out. Too many good-paying jobs in manufacturing were moved overseas by corporate America. Why? Because labor was cheaper. We're changing the dynamic, by the way. We're sending product overseas and jobs to America. That's how we're doing it. But think about it, folks. When jobs moved overseas, factories at home closed down. Once thriving cities and town became shadows of what they used to be. As they were hollowed out, something else was lost. So it's important during these conversations to look, listen for clues. Always listen to things in the opposite way of what's being told to me. For example, when President Biden says factories have been shut down, right? Factories have been shut down all over the all over the country, right? Factories shut down in USA. Now, as an investor, I'm listening to that. And I'm saying, okay, where have these factories been shut down? Who's to blame for a factory shutdown? The closing of a meat packing plant near downtown Los Angeles has left workers reeling. Manufacturing orders from China down 40% in demand collapse. U.S. warns that computer chip shortage could shut down uh, manufacturing and factories are shut. Now, why am I paying attention to that? Because acquiring factories should be uh, advantageous at this very moment. If all these factories are shut down, then if you are in a particular industry, where it would be favorable to acquire a factory, I would think now would be at the best price point ever. So that's how I'm listening to these conversations. I'm not saying that my theory is all the way true. You still have to do your own research on it. But if the president is saying factories are shutting down everywhere, I listen to that as, oh, we need to acquire factories. Does, do you see where my mind goes there? There's something there. If factories are shutting down, that means those buildings are available to do something with. Now, you as an entrepreneur, you as an investor would have to decide what could that be? What exactly would I use that factory for? What can I do with that factory to improve my overall community or overall nation or to ship things globally? That's the way your mindset should start approaching some of these conversations. So let's see what other clues are mentioned during this conversation. Pride. Pride and a sense of self-worth if you lived in those towns and places. The so-called effects of trickle-down economics and the policies of my predecessor. You know, they view the world from Park Avenue. I view it where the wealthy, in fact, you get if everything works well for them, all that's going to trickle down and help the rest of us. Well, I come from a background where that never worked. But there's another view. There's another view. 
one that I hold, and the folks from Springfield, or cities where I was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania, where I grew up in Claymont, Delaware, or thousands of cities like them. The view that says the backbone of America are the people who get up every morning, put on their shoes, and go to work and make a living. Folks, I've said it many times, Wall Street did not build America. The middle class built America. And, and unions built the middle class. Unions. Not labor, unions built the middle class. <laughs> and I ran for president, God, I, my word, to build the economy from the bottom up, bottom up and the middle out. Because when you do that, the poor have a chance to climb up a ladder. The middle class built America, based off the uh, Pew study, uh, it says here, that America households earning between 47,000 to 141,000 are technically the country's middle class. So you have a huge applause there because you have the majority of America considering themselves to be middle class. And he's getting support from these people and allowing them to agree to become middle class. Now, I'm not here to tell you to be poor, middle, or upper class. I'm really not really big on class systems to begin with. But what I noticed from that is he's getting the audience to be okay with uh, having a limit on their income. Middle class built America. And then the crowd uproars with applause. And by agreeing to that, now they're saying, well, hey, us people who make under $150,000 a year, we built America. And so we, that's something to be proud about. And I'm not saying it is or isn't. I'm just saying he has now gotten the crowd to agree who they, how he sees them, that it's okay to be that. Middle class do well, and the wealthy still do very well. There's never been a time when middle class is doing well, the wealthy didn't do well. So, folks, look, my dad used to have an expression. <clears throat> He'd say, Joey, a job's about, I give him my word to this, a job's about a lot more than a check, pay paycheck. It's about your dignity. It's about respect. It's about being able to look your kid in the eye and say, honey, it's going to be okay and mean it. First major piece of legislation we passed <coughs> without a single vote from the other team, when I got elected was the American Rescue Plan. Why? Because tax bases were way down. Cities and counties didn't have enough money to keep things going. So what did we do? We gave states and local governments the money they needed to keep cops on the beat, firefighters in the fire hall, first responders on the job, teachers in the classroom, nurses in the clinics and hospitals. Literally, they would have to have fired tens of thousands had we not provided the means for that. Back then, only 3.5 million people have even had their first vaccination because the other guy and the other team didn't think it mattered a whole lot. Now, we have fully vaccinated 230 million Americans. So now he's talking about vaccinating 230 Americans. The problem with that, or something that someone would ask is, okay, is the vaccination dangerous? Because there is a lot of reports that is saying that, you know, what exactly did these people put into their bodies, right? 
serious adverse events of special interests following the mRNA. Fully vaccinated get the facts. Uh, vaccinated versus unvaccinated uh, COVID-19 safety. COVID-19 vaccine myths debunked. Are the unvaccinated still a danger to the rest of us? LA Times. So there's still a wavering um, uh, viewpoint on vaccination, but the president is still holding fast that because they vaccinated 230 million people, that it is a good thing. That's the way he's telling the story. And you get to decide in your mind if that's the truth or not. We've also reduced the cost of health insurance for average Americans as well. We passed the bipartisan infrastructure plan. We did get some Republican votes to get that done. An infrastructure plan larger than anything except Eisenhower's National Highway Bill over 60 years ago. A once in a generation of putting America, uh, once in a generation opportunity to put Americans back to work. You can't be the number one economy, the strongest economy in the world without the best infrastructure in the world. It's not possible. You know, the best trains, planes, airports, it's like, you can't do it. You all know better than anybody because you're the ones making it happen. But think about it, not a joke. Last year, we funded 700,000 major construction projects, 700,000 all across America. From highways to airports to bridges to tunnels to broadband. By the end of this year, that's going to be more than 20,000 projects. Big and small, cities, east, west, north, and south, all part of it, major projects like the bridge between Kentucky and Ohio. My friend Mitch McConnell and I announced last month the Brent Smith Bridge was built 60 years ago, had to close down several times for repairs and making, causing havoc across the Ohio River. It was badly needed repair. We're finally be able to commit over a billion dollars to fix that bridge and build another alongside it. That bridge carries every single day $2 billion worth of freight. Let me say that right. Right now, it carries $2 billion worth of freight every single day from Florida to Canada. It's a major part of our economy, not just in the Midwest, but across the country. Folks have been talking about fixing that bridge for decades, but we're getting it done now because of the, that bill. So that's another conversation. If this is fully true. It says Biden signs the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill into law. That means there's going to be opportunities in the area of construction and infrastructure. And since it is dealing with airports, you could even say around aerospace and to other industries related, right? So that'll also let you know what industries uh, have money coming into them over a certain amount of a lot of time. Right. So he doesn't say it that way, but you have to be able to pick up the text and then dive into what a person is truly saying. That's what I'm picking up. What do you pick up from what he's saying? Let's continue. Next week, I'm visiting Baltimore, New York. We're going to replace 150 year old tunnel 
the Baltimore Potomac Tunnel under the Potomac River, which will allow rail traffic to move up and down the East Coast. And I'm probably the only non-rail guy who's walked that tunnel. No, I'm not joking. Still, when last time I walked it, they still had lights that were on a string hanging down, leaks in the roof. Folks, 150 years old, nothing's been done to it. Everything has to slow down. And there's a great worry that part of it could collapse. But folks, nothing's happened. We're going to build a new tunnel and between New York and New Jersey as well, replacing the tunnel is also in desperate need of repair. This is going to cut commute times, improve safety, make travel more reliable for 200,000 people making trips through that tunnel every single solitary day. And that's not all. We're going to be, you all are doing it already. We're going to replace the poisonous lead pipes like you read about so much and what you're doing. Not just in Flint, Michigan, but throughout the country. We're replacing lead pipes in 10 to 10 million homes and 40,000 school, 400,000 schools and child care centers. So every child in America, every child in America can turn on a faucet at home and drink clean water without fear of damage to their brain or something else happening to them. So that needs to be monitored. The president is saying that they're going to fix what happened in Flint, Michigan and other places. So people that are listening to this conversation, whether it be on this podcast or they've been listening to it on their own, that is going to be studied and that is going to be analyzed down to the T because that is a story that many independent uh, journalists and big mainstream media, they've had their eyes on that conversation for years. So we're going to be fact-checking that to see if that is true. Hopefully, if we're truly uh, operating in a true Black equity, I would like to see a Black-owned company be able to get that contract in Flint, Michigan, to be able to help with that project. And so those are the types of things that we keep our eyes on to see well, how do we have Black equity in a situation like this. Think about that. For God's sake, this is the United States of America. We're making sure that every community, urban and rural, has access to affordable high-speed internet. No parent. Think during the pandemic when schools were closed. You'd ride by a McDonald's, all kinds of cars in the parking lot. They weren't buying McDonald's. Not a joke. They were going into their internet connection so they could do the homework with their kids. Every farmer, every farmer in America has the ability to know, should have the ability to know, when it's profitable to sell their crop, their cattle, they're on the market. Only way you know that is through the internet. It's a big deal. We can't have people afford to go without internet, affordable internet. Investing in infrastructure is about creating tens of thousands of new jobs that everyone can access, regardless of whether you have a college degree or not. No one knows that better than the people sitting in front of me and the people behind me here. You're the reason, by the way, if all of a sudden all the investment bankers stopped working, nothing. You all quit, America comes to a standstill. Not a joke, think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Imagine if the IBW decided to go on strike. Not a joke, what happens? You're not only important, you're the backbone of this country. 
do the thing. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not trying to be nice. And by the way, in case you're wondering, I've been saying this for the last 400 years I've been in office. And so, folks, look, it's about investing in America and reinvesting in places that have been forgotten. Seeing communities all over America, not just in the coast, but all over America reborn. When we do that, not only will we increase safety and security, we'll create thousands upon thousands of good-paying jobs. We'll be able to bring pride back to those communities that were once so proud. So how many times have you know, how many people do you know of relatives around the country where the kids go to a decent school, they graduate from high school, and they go up, Mom, I got to move. There's no jobs here. There's not, not any exaggeration at all. There's no jobs here, Mom, I got to move. From the towns and cities that don't have to talk to their parents about this anymore, about having to leave home so they can get a decent job. Then, in a bipartisan way, we actually passed the Chips and Science Act. That I pushed. <clears throat> Just to make sure that America leads, not participates, leads the world in innovation and research and development, especially in the manufacturing of semiconductors. You all know these are small computer chips, smaller than the tip of my little finger, that power virtually everything in our lives from cell phones to automobiles to artificial intelligence. Folks, look, a lot of people don't remember or don't even know the United States of America invented these chips. We invented them. The first in the world, we invented them. It was American innovation that made them smaller, faster, and more powerful. Over 30 years ago, we, in fact, manufactured 30% of the global chip production, worth tens of billions of dollars. But today, we produce only 10%, 10%. Instead of the supply chain for these chips starting in the United States, it starts in countries we couldn't rely on. Look what happened during the pandemic. When overseas factories that make these chips shut down, automakers literally shut down, shut down the protection lines. Fewer cars were made. Workers on the shop floor were laid off. One-third of the core of inflation in 2021 was because of the price of automobiles grew so much because you could not have the 3,000 chips needed for to make the system work. Producing fewer cars because of the shortage of semiconductors. One car needs, I said 3,000, 300 of these chips. We can't ever be in a position where American auto, auto manufacturers can't make cars because we don't make chips in America. So I made a decision, and I was very blunt about it. It's caused some stir around the world, not just here. The cost of everything from refrigerator to cell phone went up at the same reason, by the way. We can't ever let that happen again. So what we did with the Chips and Science Law, I made a commitment that the supply chain is going to be begin in America, not end in America. <clears throat> really. And this law is about a lot more than chips. It's about science as well. Decades ago, the United States of America invested 2% of its GDP in research and development. 2% of the billions of dollars of the GDP we invested in research and development. You know what we do today? Less than 7 tenths of 1%. We used to rank number one in the world in research and development. We have the best universities, the best minds in the world. 
we stop investing in ourselves, guess what? We now rank nine in the world from number one. China, a decade ago, was number eight in the world. Now it's number two in the world. And countries are closing on us fast. The Chips and Science Act, I finally convinced our friends to let them know they'll allow us to reclaim our leadership in the world. Companies from home and abroad around the world have announced more than $300 billion in investments in American manufacturing that includes computer chips, manufacturing, science, since, look, you know, I asked one of the major investors in the United States of America, happened to be a Korean country, a South Korean company. They're investing billions of dollars. I said, why the United States are the CEO when I was in Korea? He said, because you're the single best workers in the world and you're the most reliable nation in the world. I swear to God. We're building new chip factories and new good paying jobs in Ohio, Arizona, Poughkeepsie, New York, Syracuse, New York. Let me give you an example. In Ohio, Intel is investing $20 billion. More than half of it will go to construction of a state-of-the-art semiconductor factories to creating 7,000 prevailing wage construction jobs. 7,000. By the way, the deal I said, you come, you pay prevailing wage. You pay prevailing wage. <clears throat> and of the 10,000 jobs in that field of dreams of 1,000 acres east, east, west of Columbus, 3,000 permanent jobs operate in these factories. By the way, these factories are multiple size of football fields. I mean, they're multiples of the football fields, each of them. You know, those jobs pay an average in the factory of $135,000 $135, a year, and you don't need a college degree. We didn't stop there. We then passed the Inflation Reduction Act. We're trying for years to give Medicare the power to negotiate prescription drug costs. You pay in your taxes billions of dollars into Medicare so they can help. Well, guess what? We pay the highest prescription drug prices of any country in the world. Let me say it again. The highest of any country in the world, because other countries don't allow that to happen. So we wanted to give them the same power the Veterans Administration has used to cut drug prices in half for military personnel. Big Pharma is always able to stop us. I've been trying this for over 30 years when I was in the Senate as well. But we finally got it done. And thank you, pal. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So you know what we've done? We said, by the way, the vast majority of the medicines and the prescriptions they, in fact, invent are because of federal investment, federal research, federal development, your tax dollars, your tax dollars. They do good work, but your tax dollars get them off the ground. Well, here's the deal. I put a, we put a cap, and it's now in effect, now in effect, as of January 1, of $2,000 a year on prescription drug costs for seniors, even if their drugs cost $10,000, $12,000, or $14,000 a year, as some cancer drugs do. They have paid no more than $2,000 a year. And in addition, 
we put a $35 a month cap on insulin for millions of seniors on Medicare instead of a minimum of $400 a month. I mean, think about it. It was here in this county early on that I was doing a town meeting, and a young woman, a mom stood up and said, you know, I have two daughters and type 2 diabetes. Maybe you were here, you were shaking your head, but maybe my, I have two daughters. How many of you know, you don't have to say whether you do, how many of you know someone close to you that has type 1 or 2 diabetes? And so I'll step in here, and I'll talk about the Chips and Science Act and uh, the Intel uh, uh, plant that he was talking about with the semiconductors. It says here that McKinsey Research estimates that the worldwide demand will keep growing with semiconductors poised to become a trillion dollar industry by the end of the decade. Okay. So as much as people will criticize governments because they don't see the things that they want to get done, get done. It doesn't mean things aren't getting done. Things are happening. It's just a question is, is it something of your agenda? And so a lot of times we sit around and we say, well, this isn't getting done and this isn't favoring our people or this isn't favoring the agenda that I have. And we think that nothing is getting done. Oh, things are moving and, and money is, is moving from here to there. There's money is always moving. The question is, where is it going? And so as these acts are passed, as these laws are passed, and as these speeches are given, they're giving you hints of where money's moving. And they're saying that it's for the common person, but te technically the common person is just doing the job in these areas and the investors will come in and they will invest in these areas. So it's good to know where the, they always say, I think it's a Wayne Gretzky quote, I move where the puck is going to be, not where it's been. A lot of people are moving where it's been. And then when things aren't the way they think it should be, they're wondering, well, what happened? It's because you didn't move where things were going. You move where you wanted things to go. And these insulin. Look around, press. Well, guess what? They're paying between 400 and 1,000 bucks a month. You know how much it costs to make that drug? Make it and package it. $12. T-W-E-L-V-E -E dollars. And you know what? The guy who invented it didn't even patent it because he wanted it available for everybody. But now, look what they're charging. And they're making billions of bucks doing it. Millions of people. Millions of people. We're going to benefit. Here's what we got to do this year, Congressman. I initially introduced a bill that said nobody has to pay more than 15, more, more than 35 bucks. But they knocked out everybody except on Medicare. So all those, that, that mom talking about her two daughters when I was here last time, she's still paying four to 800 bucks a year on a month. And if you don't have really expensive insurance, how do you do that? Talk about being deprived of your pride. Look at your child. Your child, you know, needs it. And you can't afford to do what you know they need to be sure they can continue to live.
It's wrong. It's wrong. So we got to get it done for everybody this year, for everybody. And we amended the Affordable Health Care Act. So millions of people, poor folks, who couldn't afford the better health insurance, we were able to save them an average of 800 bucks a year. Well, we're making that this year again to make sure that's the case. And by the way, that same piece of legislation contains the biggest investor ever to deal with the cl climate crisis we face. And by the way, if you hold a second, if you don't think we have a climate crisis, come travel with me around the country. No, I'm not joking. Go back. Go back. And here we are. Travel around the country. I have been in the West Coast and the Southwest and the North Northwest where more timber has burned to the ground than the entire state of Missouri. You hear me? The entire state. We have enormous drought. Now we have these superstorms in the West. I just was out in California in a helicopter with the governor again in Northern California. Folks, there is a thing called global warming. It's real. But we can do something about it. So what happened? <laughs> Doug, I think you might have been with me when I invited the, the chairman of the board of the three major automobile companies in America on the South Lawn. At the time, the chairman of the board of General Motors, Mary Barra, was suing the state of California because it had a higher standard for exhaust than the rest of the country, arguing that no state can have a higher standard than the federal government. Well, guess what? A week or 10 days later, I got a phone call. She said, I'm dropping the suit, and we're committing that we will go all electric by 2035. Saving billions of gallons of fossil fuels. Billions of gallons. And guess what? The bill we passed, you know, we're in a situation where we're going to be able to save an awful lot of money. An awful lot of money. And by the way, families are going to save more than $1,000 a year in tax credits for these vehicles when they purchase one. And energy efficient appliances like refrigerators and washing machines. And we're paying for all of this and finally making sure the biggest, by finally making sure the biggest corporations just begin to pay a little bit. The days are over when corporations are paid zero in federal taxes. In 2020, 50, 2021, 55 of the largest corporations, Fortune 500, made $40 billion. You know how much they paid in taxes? Zero. 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 So we passed a law saying they have to pass a, pay a minimum of 15%. My God, isn't that awful? Anybody in here make, that has a full-time job make, pay less than 15% of your income on taxes? I don't think so. These big laws, we put them all in action because, because we paid for them. That's one of my primary objectives this year, to implement what, and what, we, what we passed. Folks were based on a promise, and they really began to doubt government's ability to keep a commitment. All last year, I talked about how beginning January 1, you're going to have to pay more than 
35 bucks for your insulin. And I'm getting thousands of letters going, God, it happened. It happened. It didn't kick in until 2024. I mean, 2023. And look, I'm taking too much of your time. I apologize. But here's the deal. You've heard, you know about the President's Cabinet, Secretary of State, Defense, all those things. Well, today, literally today, I'm creating an Investment in America Cabinet. I'm taking all those Cabinet members, secretaries, Commerce, Labor, Transportation, Treasury, Energy, Health and Human Services, and Environmental Protection Agency, and putting them in a sub-Cabinet. Their fundamental job, plus I'm taking my two senior advisors carrying out the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and the Inflation Reduction Act. We're going to bring them together in an element of the federal government and invest wisely, and they're going to come up with a plan how we implement all that we've done. It's one thing to have passed it all. Now we have to make sure we're ever on it every single day, not a joke, implementing it so people can see what we've delivered, give it to them directly. And in the process, I promise you what's going to happen. It's going to attract billions of dollars more in private investment and get the possible best results for American workers and families. Folks, too many people have behind, been left behind in the past. And too many people, like my dad, well, too many people were treated like they're invisible. Isn't it kind of interesting why all of a sudden, it hadn't been with my case, but all of a sudden, Blue-collar workers, all the guys that grew up with in Claymont and Scranton, they're voting Republican. Not a joke. What's happened? I think a lot of it because they don't think we care. We're not paying attention. It's a little bit like what happened when I ran the first time as a 29-year-old kid for the Senate in 1972 and got elected. We had what we called, what I call, limousine liberals. A lot of people wanted to do an awful lot, but they just forgot about my neighborhood. They forgot about the neighborhood I grew up in. We weren't poor. We lived in a housing development in suburbia. I think it was 42 homes, split-level homes, three and four bedrooms. We had a three-bedroom split-level home. In the process, we had four kids and a grandpa or an aunt living with us all the time. I look back and I wonder how the hell my parents did it, but we thought it was good. The walls were very thin. <laughs> but remember, and my dad, my dad was a hardworking guy. He'd come home for dinner every night and go back to work. Not a joke. Like, like millions of, we weren't poor. My dad would be around today with four kids. He'd probably be making somewhere I guess his salary, based on what it was then, would probably be like $85,000 a year. Enough to get by, but not enough to really, you know, pay for college and all those things. And they remember, in my old neighborhoods, why the jobs went away. And wonder whether a path even exists anymore for them to be counted in. These invisible folks that I grew up with. But I know we can forge that path. I'm confident we can. But building an economy where nobody's left behind, and I mean it, nobody's left behind. Nobody. <laughs> left behind. <clears throat> Let's look at the results in just the two years we've been in office. 
unemployment is the lowest it's been in 50 years, number one. The first two years of my administration, we've had the strongest years of job growth ever in American history on record. We've created nearly 11 million jobs, including 750,000 manufacturing jobs. Where in the hell is it written that says America can't lead the world in manufacturing again? Where is that written? I don't know where it's written. And it's not going to be on my watch. Ladies and gentlemen, we're getting, you see I'm getting criticized internationally for my focusing too much on America. The hell with that. This is real serious. The supply chain is going to start here. Those, those nations that are democracies, they'll be able to benefit from what we're doing, and we'll make sure they have that supply chain done end with us. The unemployment rate is near record lows for black and Hispanic workers, and the lowest ever recorded for people with disabilities, the lowest ever in history. And over the last two years, more than 10 million people have applied to start a small business. That's more than any two years in all of recorded American history. And every time, every time someone starts a small business, it's an act of hope. It's an act of hope. And that's what we're seeing in these record numbers that we're breaking now. Hope. Hope. We're also seeing American families breathe a little easier again. More American families have health insurance today than any time in American history. Fewer families are facing foreclosure or evictions than before the pandemic. And inflation has fallen every month for the last six months, while take-home pay for workers has gone up. We got more work to do. I'm not saying it's over. Meanwhile, as I said, we got good news this morning. In the last quarter of 2022, the economy grew 2.9%. Last summer, plenty of Wall Street analysts were saying that by the end of the year, there'd be a recession. They've been telling me since I got elected, they're going to be in a recession. Every time we've gone, we've gotten better. Well, it turns out, thank God, they were wrong. So is another group, the House Republican leadership. As I said, it's not your father's Republican Party. It's a different breed of cat. I call them extreme MAGA Republicans. Not all Republicans are there, but a distinct minority of 30 to 40 percent of them. As I said, they seem determined to be the party of chaos and catastrophe. Look, I'm ready to work with Republicans that I've demonstrated to the chagrin sometimes of my Democratic friends who want to make progress for the American people. I'm ready to compromise if there's something good we want to deal with. But like many Americans, I was disappointed to see what the very first bill, the House, new House of Representatives passed along party lines, added $114 billion to the deficit, reducing taxes on the wealthy. They campaigned on inflation. They didn't say if elected, they planned to make it worse. <laughs> Mega Republican introduced another bill. It's hard to believe. Check it out. As I used to say early on, Google it. Blocking action to help lower gas prices, to help consumers. And now these MAGA Republicans have to introduce another bill. It's going to eliminate the IRS, going to eliminate it completely. The only guys can go in and look at the complicated tax returns that people have and replace the IRS 
That'd be nice. No, no, no taxes, right? Except with a 30% national sales tax and everything from if you buy a home to a car to eggs. Who do you think pays for that? Who do you think is going to get ripped off? That's right. They want to raise taxes on working to middle class people in America by passing a national sales tax, taxing every item from groceries, gasoline, clothing, supplies, medicine, even big ticket items like rent and cars. 30% sales tax on all of those issues, all those pieces. Do you think, and by the way, I thought I heard today, Don, that the Speaker of the House says he's not sure he's for it now. Bless me, Father, for he has sinned, I tell you, I mean. There is redemption. Republican speaker says he's not so sure he's for it. Look, do they think this is going to help with inflation? In the process, cutting taxes on the wealthiest? You've got to be kidding me. What in God's name is this all about? Look, that's how they're starting this new term. Cutting taxes on billionaires, raising taxes on middle-class families, and making inflation worse, for real. And let me be clear. If any of these bills somehow got passed, the House and the Senate, I will veto them. I was here campaigning in Virginia in the off-year election, pointing out the Republicans wanted to cut Social Security and Medicare. And you all looked at me like, come on, Biden. Well, guess what? Americans have been paying into them every single paycheck since you were 16 years old. Well, I got a better idea. I want to strengthen Social Security and Medicare, not gut it. If wealthy Americans... Wealthy Americans want to keep Medicare and Medicare growing strong without having to cut anything. If wealthy Americans paid the same rate that you all pay, for example, up to $139,000, you pay slightly more the more you make. But it stops there. And so if you're making a billion dollars, you pay the same amount you're paying if you made $139,000. I think it's $139,000. Well, guess what? Keep the same percentage or something like it. Make sure that nobody making... More than, and I've said this, and we, I've kept the commitment. As long as I'm president, no one making less than $400,000 will have a single penny of their taxes raised, period. I don't know many people making 400000 <laughs> Look, if Republicans want to work together on real solutions and continue to grow manufacturing jobs, build the strongest economy in the world, and make sure Americans are paid a fair wage, I'm ready. But I will not let... All right, so... President Biden says he doesn't know many people making $400,000, right? Uh, average net worth of Congress. We did an actual episode on this last season where we talked about the median net worth. We talked about everybody in Congress and how much money they're making. So Biden says he doesn't know anyone, doesn't know that many people that are making $400,000 a year. Well, it's the entire government, uh, not the entire government, but those in elected offices, right? It says here, every year, the member of the U.S. Congress are required to report the value of their household income and assets. The data reveals that the lawmakers who just passed a massive tax cut are a very rich bunch. The median net worth of a senator was thirty. 
I'm sorry, 3.2 million versus 900,000 for members of the U.S. House of Representatives. So when he says he doesn't know that many people who make over 400,000, the entire House of Representatives median is $900,000 or more. The senators make 3.2 million median. So let's just be honest there. When he's saying that the wealthy this and the wealthy that, a lot of those people are his friends or colleagues. Let anyone use the full faith and credit of the United States as a bargaining chip. The United States of America, we pay our debts. It took 200 years to accumulate that debt. Let me explain this a little bit. Look, under my predecessor, the last guy that was president, the deficit in four, went up four years. He says America pays its debts. Many African-Americans would disagree, and they would say there's a huge debt that America has not paid in the form of rep reparations to the families that were enslaved by this country. Years in a row, accounting for 40% of the entire 200 years of debt. You hear me? No president added more to the debt in four years than my president. I, I misspoke. 25% of our country's entire debt, 25% accumulated over 200 years, added to the, by the last administration in just four years. On my watch, we're taking a different path with Don's help. As a result, the last two years of my administration, we cut the deficit by $1.7 trillion, the largest reduction in debt in American history. While doing all the things I just said, we paid for it all. And the very notion that we would default on the safest, most respected debt in the world is mind-boggling. I'm not going to get into the reckless threats and take the economy hostage in order to force an agenda that's going to only limit American workers and weaken us internationally. I won't let that happen. So let me close with this. We have more work to do, but we're on the right track. We're on the right track. Roads and bridges are being built. Factories are coming along. People are back to work. Families are breathing just a little bit easier, as my dad would say. I've never been more optimistic. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. My word is abiding. I've never been more optimistic about America's future than I am today. Never. We just have to remember who in God's name we are. We're the United States of America. And nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing is beyond our capacity if we work together. We've never failed to accomplish a goal we've set. Never, never, never. God bless you all, and may God protect our troops. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so that is President Biden giving a, his remarks on the economy. Apparently there's a train that has to get through here in 15 minutes, and I'm on the way back. And the worst part of all is, if I don't, they'll wait for me, and that's the last thing I'm going to do, is keep the train from going through. And so, folks, that's going to be quick. I, I'd ordinarily, as you know, you're probably happy I'm not, jump in the crowd with you all and find out what's on your minds. But I can't do it right now because of that train. Not as, now, it's real. You're not kidding these guys. Because if you are, you're fired. <laughs> so, folks, thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. And remember, it ain't labor. It's union. Union.
So what are some of my impressions there? You know, as he was talking, I was fact checking some of the things he's saying about different bills and laws being passed. I think he's giving hints to different industries that we should be paying attention to. I think in the commercial real estate area, there's a, a possibility that there's a lot of abandoned buildings over the last two or three years that could be acquired. And whatever vision you have, you can utilize those. The semiconductor industry is going to be a $1 trillion industry. So being aligned with that industry would make sense. Infrastructure around the United States, being aligned there would make sense. He talked about uh, also in the medical field, being aligned in these areas would make sense. There's money flowing in these areas. Uh, that said, I am curious of all the different things that are swirling around uh, the president right now with the leaked documents and the documents at the homes and um, no answers really about a press secretary. So there's a lot going on there. Then, of course, there was things with uh, his family, his son uh, behind the scenes, and people have been attacking the president for those things as well. I'm not here to attack. I'm just wondering how much those play into making these announcements. And with the growing concern that there is a recession, uh, I wonder how much of this, these speeches, I think he had one a couple of weeks ago as well, how much these speeches are to calm the storm. So this is all very interesting. It's all something for us to pay attention to as we make our different moves around the globe to pay attention to key things that these people are saying because it's all orchestrated. It's all written. It's all uh, a screenplay in a way for us to dissect what's currently going on. And sometimes you have to listen to what they don't say. And so I thank you for tuning in and listening to the analysis as it's coming through. Uh, something else that uh, that jumped out at me is the Invest in America cabinet. That's something he just announced today. That is going to be something I'm going to keep a close eye on to figure out what the heck does that really mean? And how do how is there black equity involved in that? Um, so there's there's a lot to take from this. And I look forward to having everyone listen in and decide for themselves how they'll utilize this information if they hadn't already heard it before. A lot of times these speeches happen while people are at work or they're out about their day and they all they do is come home to the six o'clock news or seven o'clock news and they catch different clips. I like to play it in its entirety and be able to truly understand what is going on. So I'm looking at a few different industries from what he says, and I'm going to pay close attention to them and see what, what what role can I play in those areas and what role can I play in areas that he's not talking about that may be hidden from us. Uh, so once again, my name is Derek Moultrie with Black Equity Podcast, and this has been a 2023, January 23rd, President Biden remarks on the economy on the cusp of an announced recession that people are saying is coming sometime this year. Uh, while that's happening, he's reporting unemployment at its lowest in the last 53 years. And there's billions and trillions of dollars circulating through the different laws and different acts that he has passed. So it's, uh, you got one story over here, you got one story over here, and somewhere in the middle 
is the truth. And that's where I try to be in. Thank you for tuning in. And I will talk to you in the next episode of Black Equity Podcast. Talk to you soon.